overnight success? No, it's over many nights. Success requires hard work and sacrifice. It's the vector opportunity. So with opportunity, yes, comes risk. But when you have hard work and sacrifice in your court, you put the opportunity odds much more in your favor. That voice you just heard is Mike Lancelot, the former CEO of Vector Sales. Over a period of many years, Sir Lancelot, as we like to call him, succeeded at a level that's unprecedented in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Through consistency of effort, top-notch results every year, and first-class leadership, he reached the pinnacle of success in the company. In this conversation, you'll hear about Mike's journey from sales rep to CEO. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. I am super excited about this conversation today because we truly have one of the key people upon which the foundation of Vector Marketing as the marketing arm for Cutco was built. I am here today with Mike Lancelot, Sir Lancelot, as we like to refer him as. Sir Lancelot began working with us in 1977. He was a student at the University of Delaware, graduated with his degree in business administration and became a district manager in 1978. Mike went on an epic run of being number one every year at whatever level he was at in the company. He was the number one district manager for a few years. He became a division manager in 1983, was the number one division manager for a few years, then became a region manager in 1986, was the number one region manager for a few years, and then ultimately became our executive vice president in 1990. He stepped up to the role of president of Vector East in 1996 and CEO of all of Vector Sales in 1999, retiring about four or five years after that, and is now still part of the board of directors of the parent company, Cutco Corporation. So we are honored today to have Mike Lancelot. Thank you so much, Mike, for making time to be able to share some insights with our audience today. It is my pleasure, Dan. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think people are going to definitely enjoy getting to hear from you. 
Can you tell us about how you started with Cutco back in uh, 1977? I'd love to hear what got you into this. Sure. You had mentioned I was at University of Delaware, and in the summer of 77, the company that I was used to working for over prior summers was having layoffs. So they weren't about to bring on part-time seasonal help. And I found myself out of work. Well, I responded to an ad for summer work and away I went working for, it wasn't called Vector back then, but working and selling the fine, world's finest cutlery, Cutco Cutler. So it was right in between my junior and senior years. That's cool. That's cool. What are some of the early experiences that you remember, you know, as you first got started with the company as a sales rep? Well, Dan, the the more the business changes, the more the business stays the same. (laughs) Because I remember being on the telephone making appointments every day between 5 and 6 p.m., which is part of my routine, being on the phone every day. And the reason I was taught that I came to fully understand is because I wanted to be able to put on at least five appointments a day. So that required being on the phone every day. So that is still a a tried and and true principle by which today's sales reps build their personal sales efforts. Five appointments a day. One of my other early experiences that I'll never forget is I had my first thousand dollar day and I realized that the homemaker and eight is more than a thousand dollars today, but back then it was at a much lower price point. So it was about 10 o'clock one evening and Don Frieda, the founder of Vector Marketing was my district manager. And this appointment was right near his home. And when the final Order forms were signed, and I had my first $1,000 day. I was so excited, I pulled into his driveway. It was <laughs> night. And my car had one of those old-fashioned Auga horns. Auga! Here Tom Breeder's driveway, sounding the horn and, and sharing the, the good news with him. So those, those are some of my early experiences. But boy, I sure remember being on the phone every single day that summer. That is classic, the auga horn in the driveway of the founder of the company's house for the first grand day. That, that's so cool, Mike. I enjoyed hearing that one. What was your path into management with the company? Well, I remained, when I went back to school for my senior year, I decided to stay part-time. And that's when Don started to train me to be an assistant manager. So the office was about an hour from my school. So I I couldn't go in there every single day. But what I did is I went there on the evening of the weekly sales meeting. And I would get there well in advance of the sales meeting so that I could handle PDI in the office, get that experience. I would then start to observe and ultimately one section at a time run the interview. And then the same type of training took place to run the training seminar. So between September when I went back to school and when I graduated in May of 78, I knew how to run office. I knew how to run an interview. I knew how to run training. I knew how to run meetings. I I had all the basics down. But 
I also remained vigilant in my personal sales efforts. And so I finished up my senior year as the number one All-American. And then I was promoted to district manager in September of 1978. Wow. So you were the number one All-American before this epic stretch of being number one as a manager. So great as a sales rep, great as a manager as well. This epic run is really incredible. And I'm not so sure that anything has ever been done like this in the company where somebody you know, was number one as a rep and then was number one as a district manager and then a division manager and then a region manager. Closest thing we have uh, modern day vector would be Drew Frank, who's you know done this as a running an office and as a division manager. But uh, what you've done is truly incredible. And I know it's something I always looked up to as I was coming up in the company. To what do you think you'd attribute such consistent long-term excellence? And I feel part of the answer was worded in your question because you use the word consistent. And as I think back to my efforts at every level, sales rep to CEO and everywhere in between, it was about consistency in my effort. One might think that when the weekly national sales report would be issued, that my name would always be on top as number one every week. That was not the case. But when the year-end national sales report was issued, my name was there. And more importantly, our team's name was there. So I would say consistency and effort. I also would comment that my willingness to work hard and to accept rejection or setbacks was a factor. It would always be a shot to the gut as a district or division manager you know, when I had a low show to training, either a low number of people in training or perhaps a low percentage of show to training. And that was always tough to accept, especially when you knew you were you know, going to be working with those people for a good number of hours to train them. And the results weren't up to your expectations. However, I learned quickly that I needed to accept setbacks and use those situations as building blocks not stumbling blocks. And so it didn't accomplish anything by me getting angry at myself or getting angry at the team for, for a, a low result. I just recently, in fact, read a quote. The quote is, anger is one letter short of danger. Mm. Anger is one letter short of danger. The word anger, one letter short of the word danger. So to learn from setbacks, I think was an important factor in, in us as the various teams remaining number one. You know, we, we would build from that. The final thing I would say, Dan, is we were always about creating team excitement, not only where we were as a team, but more so where we were going. You know, so promoting forward you know, was, was a great way to overcome adversity, especially if things didn't go well in a particular week or month. So it was always about where we were going, whether it be for a push week, whether it be in a pursuit of a monthly record, an annual goal, or even a spirited competition with another office, division, or region. Yeah, that's great right there. I really like your quote about uh, anger is one letter short of danger and getting people to really think about how do they respond to setbacks? How do they respond to people in their organization when those people fail or struggle? 
and that uh, taking a positive approach to working with people is what always is encouraging. And that when we become frustrated or angry, we tend to kind of suck the energy out of people and it has a reverse effect that doesn't really work. And I feel like that this applies really in parenting also. I and mean, I've got two little, little kids and it's easy to get angry when they do something, you know, repeatedly wrong or misbehave in some manner. And I suppose there might be a time for that, but for the most part, it's not the way to approach things and to be able to, uh, you know, give people the energy and the encouragement they need to move past their own setbacks. So that was a good insight for sure. What do you think motivated you the most during your career with Vector? Uh, if you're looking for one answer, it would have ultimately been advancement, but initially income was very important to me. We were a middle-class family and I, I grew up in a row home for people that don't know what a row home is. It's, it's a whole block of homes and all the homes are connected to one another. It's just door, 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 door. We didn't have much. I just recently visited a home that we moved to from the row home and it was a single home. So my recollection as an 11 year old is, wow, we really made it. And then I, I saw that home was for sale and it was only 1800 square feet. I had, I had no idea it was that small. We were in a, so we weren't ever starving for food, but you know, we, we lived okay, comfortably. We didn't go on big trips or anything like that, but I was just motivated from an early age to, to earn income, mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial spirit. And so Vector gave me that outlet to really take it to a higher level. And as the income kept rising, the advancements kept coming. And so that was very, very motivating to me uh, to, to be able to advance. Because once you have the income and once you're comfortable, as I became with an income level, sure, you wanted to drive it higher, but that wasn't the primary motivation. Really, at the end of the day, the primary motivation at that point in my career was income and advancement were achieved by the main motivation of helping others to succeed first. Right. When do you feel like you flipped that switch where, you know, from it was about your opportunities and your advancement to really realizing that if you invested in the people that you had, that the good things would circle back to you? When do you feel like that? That flip switched in your mind as a young leader? That's a good question. And I'd have to think about that for a moment because I, I certainly figured out quickly as a district manager that my income was driven by helping others to succeed first. And of course, that is one of the vector philosophies. I understood it. And I would say, Dan, when I, when I became a division manager and, and had an opportunity to see other district managers and assistant managers, part of our team grow, that's when I really connected with me. That, you know, where proof was in the results of others succeeding first. And then, of course, my income kept rising. So it's like, wow, this is a win-win. There aren't too many win-wins in life. But yeah. in Vector, I learned very early in my career, this was a true win. The Vector philosophy of in order for us to succeed, our people must succeed first. Uh, is, has been tried and true. And another awesome illustration about the business changes, but the business and the basic tenets of the business have remained strong, tried and true. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that as sales reps, we have this direct correlation of our results to our income. And yes, we help customers. We bring them a great Cutco product, which of course is, you know, the, the win-win element of being a sales rep. But I do think as sales reps, we uh, are most motivated by our own personal goals and our own opportunities, our own income. And so when somebody becomes a manager for the first time, that's kind of the paradigm that they have in their mind. And I would agree with you that it's when you see all of the evidence of people around you succeeding, the more stories that start to to come out of your organization of a rep, you know, hitting their first promotion or a rep hitting their field sales manager promotion or somebody becoming an assistant manager or somebody running a successful branch, you know, as you advance as a district manager and, and, and probably become a division manager, you start to have so many of those stories that the, the, the uh, switch really does flip uh, to realizing that, you know what, my business is about developing people. And I feel like that's what has made Cutco and Vector so great is that we've been able to spin around this company that sells knives and turn it into this company that develops people. And that the greatest managers focus on how many people can I develop? How many human trophies can I create? Uh, and that in doing that, they become very, very successful and, and reap the financial rewards as well. That's very, very true. I mean, certainly income is important. And I would think most successful people at whatever level they're at in Vector or whatever business they're at, they'll have an annual goal. And as they fortify that annual revenue sales goal, if you may, in their mind, they will work backwards, of course, to determine what income would be yielded as mm-hmm. a hitting that. But I always found, okay, we're going to go after X, and that will generate Y in income. Wow, that's exciting. But then the income would be set aside, and it would be all about helping people to succeed. Because that income and that sales goal could never be realized unless we helped others to achieve their goals as well. Exactly. You referenced one of the founding principles of Vector. To be successful, we must first help others to succeed. And I can remember Don Frieda sharing this principle. I can still picture him in my mind, you know, actually saying those words. And you were part of establishing the vision and the culture of the company along with Mr. Frieda. And what are some of the other core principles upon which Vector Marketing was built? People, products, and programs. The three big ones. People, products, and programs. That was a definite founding principle. And as I think of the Vector today and successful organizations, even outside of Vector, when you have great people, that says a lot. But you can have good people and not have a good product. And we have a fantastic product in, in cutlery. It is the world's finest cutlery. I say that to people often. If there was a knife better than Cutco, I'd know about it. So we combine the, the great asset of people with the fantastic product, and then the vector programs bring it all together. So that was a founding principle. Certainly, in order for us to succeed, our people must succeed first. Another founding principle. I was very proud of the fact that another founding principle was running an ethical business in every aspect, every aspect. 
everything we say and everything we do. People are watching. And so that was a founding principle. There were two other founding principles, and, and there were several others, Dan, but a strong recruiting focus. Direct sales companies are a direct function of how powerful their, their recruiting endeavors are because it, it all comes down to number of exposures. The more, the more presentations we do, the more sales we make at the basic sales rep level. And the more sales reps we have, the more sales we make as a company and everywhere in between. So, you know, the company always has had a strong recruiting focus along with an emphasis on recruiting efficiency. That was something Don Frieda instilled in all of us, that it takes an awful lot to generate a new sales rep. And so the more efficient you can be at every step along the way that ends up in that rep launching, the better off you'll be. So strong recruiting focus and a strong emphasis on recruiting efficiency. Another founding principle was emanated from Don Frieda was the importance of family, the importance of balance, you know, balance your work career with your family. And so I worked very, very hard in my career, but you know, I look back at, at our family life and I'm sure there were sacrifices. Definitely there were sacrifices, but one was not at the expense of the other. What level were you at in the business when you started having kids? Like when you got married and had kids, what level were you at? Our son was born in, in 1980, so I was a district manager at that time. So we, Joni and I were, we just celebrated 40 years of marriage in January, which was exciting. And we were married in, in January of 1979. Our son was born the following July of 1980. And so I was a district manager, you know. And here we were with our brand new home and a mortgage, brand new baby. And these were scary times for me as a, as a young person, but exciting times because I knew the future was bright with the company I was with and what I was doing. But as much so, I, I just felt that I was in control of my own destiny and I was going to do real well. I didn't envision it would be my entire career. I was always staying at that point for two more years. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the income kept coming, growing, the advancements started happening. And so it was a lot of fun looking back uh, for Joni and me. Let's yeah. face it, there were sacrifices. You know, I, I worked nights and weekends, you know, where a lot of the fathers were home. But I had different time, you know, mornings as a young district manager, with the exception of the summer. So, you know, the time was still there. You know, when I became a region manager and was traveling every week, you know, our son was involved in various sports, but I was still, I took an entrepreneurial approach to my schedule. I would put all our son's game and my games in my calendar first and then do my field visits and everything else around that. Mm, I appreciate how you're able to schedule the family activities first and kind of build around that. And I know that was, you know, after a number of years in the business where you had established success. And, you know, in the early days, I think it's important to acknowledge that every one of us that's become successful in Vector busted our butts in the early days to be able to get our offices off the ground. And particularly during the summer months, you know, there were long days sometimes, and there were uh, some seven day weeks 
sometimes where we, you know, had to put that effort in to be able to create what we wanted to create, but that this afforded us in short order, the opportunity to be able to do what you said about scheduling our activities around the things in our life that mattered the most. Absolutely. I think think that's a pretty reasonable trade-off for a lot of young people to make, to think about the idea of working hard when you're in your 20s, to be able to have those opportunities to, you know, schedule your work around the other things that are important to you and get it all done. You made a very good point about the summer too, because that was something that Joni and I always realized that once one summer started, it would be (laughs) hard work, you know, hard work year round, but during the summer months, it's magnified. And, but yet we knew, you know, that the items that we wanted to achieve in life, such as a new home and then a newer home and then a bigger home and all the material things that we aspire to, people do aspire to, you know, we were able to earn by that hard work over the summer. That's when the majority, not all, but the majority of the income would come in. Yeah. You mentioned the idea of the strong recruiting focus, and you also talked about efficiency being an important part of that. And I feel like for a manager to be efficient in their recruiting processes, they have to be really good at the different elements of recruiting. They have to study their craft to get really good at it. And then what's also important is making sure that as they're delegating, the people they're delegating to are also really good. Otherwise, you know, efficiency starts to dwindle. And I think there's a tendency for people who have been in the business for a lot of years to allow expediency to kind of seep into what they're doing. And it hurts efficiency, both in recruiting and in other areas of the business. And, you know, as you were going through this such a prolonged period of being excellent, I'm just interested in, you know, how, how did you, how did you come to terms with the idea of doing the same things on a consistent basis, balancing, delegating to, your staff and just maintaining that high level in the organization? How does one maintain that high level in the organization over a long period of time and not succumb to doing things in the interest of expediency or making the business easier? Well, one of the items that I learned real early in my career, Dan, and it really paid even bigger dividends as I moved into higher levels of executive management is the saying of the easiest answer is usually not the best one. The easiest answer is usually not the best one. Mm. So, word expediency. I mean, sure, we, we like things to be simple and easy, but most things we attain in life are not. They're not easy. They take hard work. They take focus, they take attention, and paying attention. Right now, I'm the president of a, of a charity foundation that donates over a million dollars a year to abused and at-risk children in Southwest Florida. And we do this through two live auctions and a golf program. So that's three years in a row we've donated over a million dollars. And the people that work with me know that Mike is always analyzing every aspect of this foundation that we we work six months of the year on for what ends up being a three-day weekend. And so I'm always looking just like I would look at, at a recruiting cycle. 
of areas of opportunity where and the one person on the team is saying, oh, yeah, Mike loves reports. Mike's always asking for reports. Mike's always analyzing because I'm looking for areas of improvement and looking for areas of greater efficiency. I'm not looking for the easier answer. You know, I'm also a golfer, Dan, and you know it's rare that every single aspect of a golf game comes together. And when it does, it's your best round ever. But our business is very much like the game of golf. If one area is up, another area might be down. If that area is up, another area might be down. So you're always looking to improve. You're always looking at trends and looking for the, the weak spots where you can improve. And that's, that's how I ran the vector business at every level, looking for those areas of opportunity and realizing it's not going to be any easy answers. It's just a matter of pursuing improvement, innovation, without moving from the basics of the business to try to make them more efficient. What you just shared really jives with the way I feel my career evolved. Uh, in the company, I was always trying to figure out, you know, what are the areas in which I need to improve if I want to be able to compete at the highest level? Who's doing something better than I am? How can I learn and develop in that area? And I can remember in my, you know, early days as a manager, um, when I first ran an office, I was pretty good at, you know, getting to, uh, training people and getting good averages per person. Um, but I wasn't really good at recruiting, at least at the highest level. And then I figured out how to get really good at recruiting. Um, and I was able to, you know, take that to a higher level. But then, like you said, there are always sort of ebbs and flows in different areas of the business. And I was constantly trying to think about what is my one thing that I need to work on in the present time that's going to help me, you know, this year or this campaign or right now to be able to improve. And then there was always an effort to work on that thing, to ask questions, to seek input, um, seek answers, implement those answers and continually get better and better and better. And for anyone that does that in the business, it's hard to not become great in this Cutco business if you're constantly seeking that improvement. So I really uh, appreciate what you shared on that one. I'd like to just quickly echo your point about asking questions because earlier in this dialogue, you mentioned about delegating to others. And so when you think about Recruiting, you're delegating to a lot of different people, including yourself. And you need to be asking questions. And the more one advances through their vector career, the more you get used to not only asking questions, but really digging into the questions more. Because you, you learn as you advance through your career, you get used to the fact that people are going to give you answers that they think you're going to want to hear. And that may not be the answer you're looking for. So continue to probe and find out where the, the weak spots are and then look to improve. You know, leading with questions also allows others to be involved in the exact process you're thinking about and looking at and trying to improve it. Yeah, that's great. You also shared the ethical business concept earlier. And this is another one of those quotes from Don Frieda that is like cemented in my mind. I can remember him saying, I'm not running an ethical business unless I do everything I can on a daily basis to help the people I work with. That was his direct quote. And I brought this energy to my 
process of working with our reps. We call it PDI, right? The daily process of working with our reps, you know, and am I really giving my best to my people? And that was always something that I was inspired by, right? Is am I giving my best to my people? And I feel like that's something that, you know, you've always done every time I've been able to be around you or seen you, you know, in, in interactions with people or speaking from the podium, like it's clear that you are interested in always bringing your best to your people. And, and to me, that's a big part of the ethical business aspect is, you know, are we bringing our best to our people? And it's probably a good thing for a lot of our managers who might be listening to this to consider you know, is uh, at what level are they doing that on a, on a regular basis with their organization? Very true. So you, once you became the CEO uh, or president, the company had some really explosive growth in a very short period of time. I know we went from somewhere around $80 million to well over $200 million pretty quickly. What do you think led to that explosive growth? I think of two items, Dan, and, and what's exciting is I share these two items is they apply at every level of the vector business. And I point that out because not everybody listening will become CEO of this company, but everybody has an important role in building their respective businesses, whether they're CEO or region or manager or division manager, district manager, and even in personal selling efforts. So, well, the first item I, I want to point out is part of what we did to incorporate explosive growth at the corporate level is we built a very strong region manager team and a very strong division manager team. And so that wouldn't apply to personal selling. Other level in the management part of our business, it can duplicate that because it's imperative to build breadth and depth in any organization, whether district, division, region, or corporate, to build breadth and depth is what we did at the region manager and at the division manager levels. Mm. You want the breadth in terms of full staffing, but you need the depth in terms of succession planning. You can't have any one individual determining the, the power of the entire organization. Because it's a team. And so if, if someone decides to leave the business, you know, when, when you're a division manager, you, you shouldn't have a hole in the organization, especially if it's from your top territories. So if you're building breadth, that creates power in the organization and creates growth. But if you're also focused on depth, well, then you're always having positive movement in the organization, not so much when someone were to leave the business, but more so when someone were to be promoted in the business and moving on to a higher level, which is exciting. That's that's the hallmark of, of a true coach to be able to see their people move on to even greater successes. And that would mean that they would have to leave that organization. But, you know, if a coach is building depth in the organization and their recruiting efforts, in this case, our development efforts, Strong, you know, you have the breadth and the depth. So we had that going on in spades. I learned this as a young district manager. I learned how important it was to target future talent. I always use the word targeting. Who looks good? Who am I targeting for future growth? From the very start of the summer, who am I targeting for our key staff? And that philosophy stayed with me through every level in the business. 
target future talent and build the breadth and the depth. And that also ensures succession planning at every level. The second item is we built on positive momentum. This is a personal quote of mine. I strongly believe that there are two most powerful forces in business. The two most powerful forces in business are momentum and the other most powerful force in business, lack of momentum. Mm. We were always focused on momentum, never becoming complacent. A good month, that was great. Celebrate briefly, but that was last month. Same thing on a campaign level, same thing on an annual basis. Always building on momentum takes you to a whole other level of momentum because you don't want a situation where you move into lack of momentum. Right. Real hard to build from there, and it takes many years to rebuild from lack of momentum. Always being focused on building on momentum uh, was part of the other reason we had some explosive growth. That's such a great insight. And I, I think that a lot of our people will be able to connect with that, this idea of momentum versus lack of momentum, because it is hard when you allow yourself to get into that lack of momentum state. It's hard to get out of it. I've always told people that succeeding in Vector is a little bit like pushing a car. You know, it's hard to get that car moving sometimes at first, but once you start pushing a car, you know, it's pretty easy to keep that car rolling down a flat surface, you know, because of the momentum that you have established. And, and that's uh, a lot like what we are doing here at Vector. And once momentum is built, it's so important to be very, very deliberate about keeping it going, being aware of potential momentum breakers, whether they be things in your schedule that could cause a issue or, you know, anything else, transitions, things like that. Um, just being aware of those things so that uh, y- you can keep that momentum moving. So that was critical. And I love what you said about targeting future talent, because we have so many amazing people in Vector that when a young kid is told, hey, I see what you're doing, I see your success, and I feel like you could be great at this, and I want to help you get there. I just feel like a young person working with us, hearing that from their district manager or their division manager is going to be like, oh my gosh, yes, help me. Let's do this. I want to work with you. I want to be there with you. And they want to follow that leader. And to me, I think back to when I was a relatively new person in the business and my division manager, Filippo Mancini said, you know, Hey, let me show you this, right? I was working on this list of people that I feel like I really want to build this team with in the years ahead. And, and look, there's your name right there. You know, and my name was at the top of the list. And I remember going, Whoa, you know, Filippo thinks that highly of me and my potential. That's amazing. And he latched on to me in a way that made me want to follow him and stay around. And that our people have the ability to do that and and making sure that they're always looking for that future talent and that they're telling that future talent what they see in them. They're infusing them with confidence and they're infusing them with inspiration and a vision of what could be next down the road for them. And, And that's a great way that anybody could build their division or build their district team that they have. I want to ask you, Mike, what do you believe are the most important qualities of great leaders? Because you've been amazing yourself, and I just feel like you've also seen amazing leaders both in and out of this business, and you could really speak to this question well. One area, Dan, we touched upon already, and these are no certain order because I feel they're all important. The one area we touched upon earlier was strong ethics. I think a leader is someone that can be trusted. If strong ethics, 
and 100% honest. I truly believe there's no such thing as a gray area. Whenever I hear, you know, this is a gray area, mm, I don't think so. To me, something's honest and ethical, or it's not honest and ethical. And if it's not 100%, which some people like to call gray area, well, it's most of it's, well, what do we need to change to make it completely honest? And that's in all aspects and all dealings with people, all dealings. You know, sometimes people will make a statement that's not honest. I'll get back to you on that. And then they don't. If you say you're going to get back to somebody on it, whatever the issue, you better make a note, which is very easy to do today in, in our iPhones or cell phones, to follow up. Just the fact that you're following up is, is like, wow, wow. He told me he was going to do that, and he did it. So being honest, 100% of everything that you do. I think another positive attribute of a great leader is they build strong relationships. You know, as I think back to even when I became CEO, it was such a big country, but there were relationships throughout the whole country. I mean, I'm in Philadelphia. Dan Cassette is in California. We had a business relationship. I would reach out to Dan. You know, I, I knew about your family, your interests. You know, the more you can build relationships, that spells retention. And, and so doing a lot of the little things that make a big difference in this category of, of showing people that you care about them as a person, you know, that's, that's how you build relationships. I think the ability to create excitement about the future is a big, big quality of great leaders. The ability to create excitement about the future. It's not just where we are, but it's where we're going. And that ties right in with the next attribute. I think successful leaders are growth driven. You know, they understand that it's all about growth. Anything that stays the same, moving backwards, back to that lack of momentum. You need to build on momentum. You use a great analogy with pushing a car. Once it gets going, it's exciting. But what happens when you stop pushing? slows down. So being growth driven is very, very, very and related to that, I think effective leaders, and we touched upon too earlier, they recognize business trends. That's why I want all the data. I'm trying to ascertain what are the trends, both positive trends or areas needing improvement. So I think successful leaders recognize trends. I can look at a balance sheet or a profit and loss statement and in a matter of seconds, recognize trends. I can tell you about that business. And I can look at one of our people and just have a short conversation and I'm looking to see how they look that particular day. <laughs> mm -hmm. So many times they say, you know, so-and-so doesn't look too good. Well, what do you mean? Well, didn't you notice at the staff meeting? He or she didn't look good at all. Oh, wow, I didn't notice that. Yes, you're not managing your people. Someone else will be. So, you know, noticing trends in people as well as in statistics. I think to sum it up, Dan, I mean, we could go on and on, and there's so many wonderful books on leadership. But one of the books I always enjoyed reading, and because it was a short, powerful read, was Leadership is an Art. Leadership is an Art was written years ago by a fellow, Max Dupree, D-E-P-R-E-E. -E said, you need to realize that people don't have to follow. They choose to follow. And his exact quote was, quote, followership 
is a voluntary activity. Followership is a voluntary activity. And what that means, people don't have to follow, they choose to follow. So last but certainly not least, I think effective leaders are very humble. It's not about them. There's a difference between self-confidence and an overflated ego, in my opinion. So humility, that's where humility comes in. You're realizing that being a leader is being a servant. That doesn't mean that you're going to be served. It means that you need to be, you need to be the one that serves. Mm-hmm. Humble. Check your ego at the door without compromising your self-confidence. Right. Uh, Mike, those were some really great insights. And I think that uh, there's a lot right there for people to chew on, to think about, you know, how well are they building trust with their, with their organization, the relationships they're building, the way they create excitement for the future. Are they growth driven? You know, the ability to do some business analysis and recognize trends. So many things people can think about and evaluate, you know, from the context of their own leadership ability and where it could be their areas of opportunity. Mike, this has been really great. I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's anything else you'd like to share, any other advice that you'd want to give for people who are listening to this podcast, there's going to be a lot of Cutco Vector current people. There's probably going to be a good number of alumni as well that uh, remember you and your leadership and are interested in just hearing anything else that you might have to say. So let me just leave you with that question to see what else you might like to share. Then I have two closing thoughts. One is specifically for our vector management team, because I know they'll be listening to this podcast soon after they leave Strategic Leadership Conference or SLC as we know it. And that Closing thought is to always be reminded that there's a difference between what we're doing and what we're accomplishing. What are we doing? Well, we're, we're recruiting, training, and developing people to work and sell Cutco knives. That, in a nutshell, is essentially what we're doing. But you're currently working with Vector. What are we accomplishing? I say we always need to be reminded of the important skills for life that we provide for people that work with us. I mean, there's so many skills for life that people obtain from their vector experience. I'll just name a few. Presentation skills, closing skills, lead development skills, telephone skills, public speaking skills, time management skills. I mean, if we taught one to two of these skills, we'd be making a huge difference in people's lives. But as I think of of the other people listening to this podcast who have utilize their vector experience to catapult them into other areas of opportunity in their career, I am confident they look back and say, wow, I I am successful in business and in life, even if they're not in business, because I learned these skills through vector. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting, the skills we teach people for life, how to speak to people, how to present an idea, how to close on the idea. How to get leads to perpetuate that idea. How to call people on the telephone. And in, in a day and age where it's so much easier to text, you know, to pick up the phone is when things happen. And, and that's still tried and true. I heard an analogy about a dating service. You might be able to, to meet a person who you end up marrying to a dating service, online dating service. But could you ever imagine 
marrying someone without having spoke to them face to face or met them face to face or call and spoke to them face to face. So it's face to face and voice to voice contact that carries the day in every walk of life at the end of the day. And this mm-hmm. is each people to do. And so secondly, I think to realize that success requires hard work and sacrifice. Mm. At the end of the day, there's no easy layups. Overnight success? No, it's over many nights. Mm-hmm. It's over many nights. Success requires hard work and sacrifice. I never worked 40 hour work week, Dan. I never worked for a salary. To me, a 40 hour work week and a salary defines a job. Well, it's the vector opportunity. We're in the land of opportunity. And so with opportunity, yes, comes risk. But when you have hard work and sacrifice in your court, you put the opportunity odds much more in your favor. So when Joni and I retired to a home in Florida, that's sometimes where retired people go. <laughs> it's on the eastern part of the country. Or, or maybe on the west, they'll, they'll go to Palm Springs or to Arizona. But whatever. We moved to Florida because we grew up in Philadelphia. And when we built the house, I told the builder I needed a piece of lucite inserted right over our front doorbell. And that piece of lucite has a 1729W petite carver, pearl-handled petite carver sunk into that lucite. And it's etched out of hard work and sacrifice. We carved this slice of paradise. Welcome to our home. That's what it reads. So it was definitely a lot of hard work and sacrifice, but it all sure has paid off and has been so rewarding. So thank you for the opportunity to share these thoughts and experiences with the people listening to this podcast. That's so amazing, Mike. The the house that Cutco built with uh, the Petit Carver and Lucite in the front. That's awesome. We'll make sure that we put that photo out for everybody to see. Mike, you've truly been one of the people that has been most influential uh, in my life and in my career. And I know you were in Philadelphia and I was always in California, but like you said, we had that relationship, uh, particularly for those years where you were the national sales manager or where you were the CEO of Vector Sales. My career began largely under Filippo Mancini and, and I learned a lot about energy from Filippo Mancini. And I learned a lot about work ethic from him. Bruce Goodman, of course, became my region manager. And, and from Bruce, I learned a lot about class and how to treat people really, really well. And Bruce has always been an incredible role model that I've just aspired to be like. Of course, Don Muellrath was instrumental in my particularly my early career. He was so enthusiastic and had such great vision. And Don also taught financial principles, which I feel like have been critical for you know my lifetime success. Then being able to observe you, the ethics that you described during this interview was something that I could tell you lived. And that was something that I always knew was a part of who you were as a leader. I also really, really admired your communication, your polished communication, your public speaking, just all of the things that you did. This is something I always looked at and was like, God, I really want to be able to do that. I really want to aspire to that. And then when I looked at your track record, it was evident there was a commitment to success at a very high level. 
And I remember you giving a talk that was called commitment. And you said, and this is again, another one of those quotes that like is so internalized that I don't, don't even have to look for notes. It's just there. A commitment is a promise to yourself and or others to follow through with a specific goal, despite any and all obstacles. And you dissected that quote and talked about it. And it's just something that always stuck with me is like being committed to success. And you have always been a great example of that. It inspired me. You've inspired legions of others to be great at what they do. And I just really appreciate you, Mike. I just want to thank you again for making the time to share some great insights with our audience here today. It was my pleasure, Dan. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. That was Sir Lancelot, everyone. Cool to hear Mike's story of starting while a student at University of Delaware and the fact that he was the number one college All-American during that his senior year there in college and that his path into management was a similar path to anyone who has advanced in the company or is advancing in the company, becoming an assistant manager, learning the different elements of the business, learning how to recruit, run interviews, learning how to train, how to work with sales reps, and then moving up to become a district manager, running his own office. All the same things that anybody would aspire to do to be able to get into vector management, vector leadership roles. Uh, Mike took that path and did it in an excellent fashion. His many years of being a champion in the business, he talked about the word consistent and the importance of that. And I love where he later said there's the two most important forces in business are the two most powerful forces in business are momentum and a lack of momentum. Really like good insight to consider where are you at in that spectrum and the importance of maintaining momentum when you have it and being very deliberate about that. Of course, Mike talked about a willingness to work. And I love where he said the easiest answer is usually not the best one. That's an important insight to consider as you grow up in the business or as you, uh, you know, venture, you know, well into your years in anything that you do. I do think there's a tendency to look for ways to be expedient and that that is typically a recipe for moving backwards. Of course, the foundation upon which Vector was built, people, products, and programs. Mike talking about the breadth and depth that was built in the organization in the late 90s that led to such explosive growth, the concept of targeting future talent. Um, and then, of course, in terms of qualities of leaders, he led off with strong ethics and building trust. That's always something I felt from him as a leader. And it's an instrumental part of building a strong organization and having people want to follow you. And I'll leave you with the quote about commitment because it's one of Mike's direct quotes that has been so ingrained in my head that it literally is a part of who I am now. A commitment is a promise to yourself and or others to follow through with a specific goal despite any and all obstacles. Consider the commitments you're making, who you are promising to, who you are committing to, and then deal with the obstacles, follow through. The magic word is until you achieve the things that you want. Mike Lancelot is an amazing example of all around success personally and professionally. 
He's been an inspiration to all of us. And hopefully you can derive inspiration to be the best you can be from listening to the words of the great Sir Lancelot. Have a fantastic rest of your day, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.